0: Well, it is Steve Vine's time. It is uh, Thursday morning, and he is here. How are you, sir?
1: Well, not the happiest camper in camperdom, I would have to say. Mm, mm. I mean, there It's been, is, a, been a strange few days. It has it? been a strange few days. There is a very dark shadow, and um, there won't be anybody listening to this who doesn't know what that dark shadow is. what what interests me, among many other things that interest me about all of this, is you look at the people who have been the biggest cheerleaders for the national security legislation. Let's actually look specifically at the one. Remember, there's only one Hong Kong person who's been um, involved in drafting it, because even the chief executive um, in name only is now the chief executive in not even allowed in the room. I mean, it's staggering. She wasn't even involved in any of this. But anyway, there was one Hong Konger who was involved in this, Tam Chung, who sits on the uh, standing committee, the National People's Committee. What does Mr. Tam really think about the appallingness of Hong Kong as it is, about the wonderful future that awaits Hong Kong after the national security uh, law has been passed? Well, I've heard what he's said, but I also understand what he's done. Two of his sons live in Australia. They live in a democracy. They They live in a place where there is rule of law, where people can freely criticise the government, etc., etc. The level of hypocrisy of these people, this is a law for the little people. Carrie Lam, the Sino, where do... Uh, Whose passports are held by her husband and her two sons? Oh, that's right. It's the terrible, vile, unspeakable British. They hold terrible, vile, unspeakable British passports. Oh, and who else in that family used to hold a British passport? Wait a minute, wait a minute. (sighs) Carrie Lamb. Why does Carrie Lam no longer hold a British passport? The passport of a vile and terrible colonial oppressor? Hmm. Oh, because she had to give it up to gain high office. So, you know, no no hint of opportunism in that. But don't worry, Carrie, she'll still be able to get in Britain when things turn bad through her husband. What about Tung Chee-hwa, who was the first chief executive of the Hong Kong SAR? What passports are held by all of his offspring? Well, that's right. American. You know, the vile American hegemon imperialist meddling in Hong Kong's affairs. I mean, I could go on. This Mm. list Mm. of people who speak one thing and do something else, they all have in these vile democracies. They all have other assets in these vile democracies. Can you think of any other place in the world where the elite, the people who run the country, or run the region or run the whatever, are almost unanimous in having an escape plan. I mean, this is extraordinary. If it was discovered that that very nice man, Mr. Trump, had an escape plan to go um, to (laughs) to the the, the land of his forefathers, Germany, where they were known as Trump. Um, oh, you know, they were, are not they? They yeah. were. He yeah. denies it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, people would say, this is outrageous. This man is running the United States of America, but he's not confident enough in the future of America to just hold an American passport. There would be outrage, wall-to-wall, door-to-door, etc. In Hong Kong, it's kind of known that the elite have one standard, mm. The elite, the quizzling elite, who will do what they're told at any time to suppress Hong Kong's way of life. They all can do so merrily in the knowledge that they have an escape plan. I mean, I think this tells you all you need to know about, well, it's the textbook of hypocrisy, but it, it tells you all you need to know about where we are in Hong Kong when it is asserted and let's get back to the main thing it is asserted that the basic purpose of the national security legislation is to stop violence is is it will only affect a very small number of people and you know once that's done hong kong will flourish well it so happens that in hong kong we know what how these things work we actually have an example in fact many of the people tam yu chung stand up proudly again know about this because they were involved mm. in much worse violence than anything that we've seen in the past year i'm talking about the riots of 1967 in which tam yu chung was a participant let us not forget that
0: what was his part
1: he, he was a trade union leader uh, whether he was a bomb thrower or not i don't know i assume he wasn't he wasn't arrested so what happened i mean this is when you really had i mean 57 people were killed mm. hundreds were injured there were, I mean, this was not what's been happening in Hong Kong in the past year. This was a, a regime of terror. This it, was serious this riots, This was serious bombs, rioting with, right? with, with violence. it was, mm. And, of course, you know, it wasn't um, initiated in Hong Kong. It was initiated across the border as a pro- byproduct of the Cultural Revolution, where, you know, mayhem was the order of the day in the country. So, in 1967, the Brits had to think about what they were going to do to stop this. They had, of course, had to resort to very harsh, and in many cases, very unfair means to put down... I mean, in other words, innocent people were caught up Mm. with arrests and um, harassment that was completely unjustified. But all of this happened. But they didn't just do what's being done now. They said to, to... stop violence to restore the peacefulness of society you can't just have oppression so everybody was brought to an open court for trial habeas corpus was not suspended there were not special courts i mean you go through the gamut of all the things that are in the national security Mm. legislation and they weren't there A byproduct was, as I say, that this wasn't, you know, this wasn't a soft toy manufacturing facility that was set up to to suppress these riots. It was harsh, and it was, in many cases, unfair, and there is a lot of bitterness. I understand all of that. But the key thing was, and, you know, I don't have stars in my eyes about the British colonial period, but the key thing was, while they were planning how to deal with the immediate problem, Of stopping the rioting they were equally dealing with the problem of looking at how without just having the one mechanism of putting people in jail preventing them from having freedom of speech they were looking ahead saying so what do we do now Hmm. how do we get society back on its feet one of the enormously big byproducts of that was the development of hong kong's enormous public housing system where where it was it, it it was it percolated through to these idiots who had been running the government that you couldn't have so many people first of all living in squatter accommodation mm. which was clearly inadequate, but even if they weren't living in squatter accommodation, the, the level of housing stock for, for the Hong Kong's underclass was just appalling. Mm. So they understood that that not only did the housing system have to be improved by the big, big mushrooming of the public housing program there was a understanding that that, that these schools you know where 50 children were packed into a class were providing couldn't possibly provide anything like adequate education again this is for the poor we're talking about the poor and Thirdly, it was widely understood that, you know, there has to be some kind of social safety network. It wasn't big, and it certainly wasn't all-encompassing, but it was more or less non-existent. So actually, when people say, did violence ever achieve anything, you could argue, you could argue, I'm not saying it's the greatest argument, that the riots of 67 brought Hong Kong (coughs) into a place where there was going to be some kind of safety net for the underclass. Secondly, and this is less convincing as an argument, but it's interesting. Remember, in 67, there was no elected tiers of government in Hong Kong. District councils weren't elected. They didn't exist. Um, Obviously, LegCo wasn't elected. So you had no form of legitimate... um, How can I say? No form of legitimate self-government. in in those bad days of colonial rule. But one thing, and this was something that was particularly of interest to um, Murray McLehose when he became governor, was to step up the communication with the local communities through the district officers. And previously, district officers had just been seen as, you know, the local point men to tell the, the, the great unwashed what to do. The 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 idea started to percolate that oh, besides telling people what to do, maybe it would be a good idea because after all, you know, the colonial authorities had only listened to this tiny, small elite who, you know, whose basic attitude towards the people of Hong Kong was very fine people, they provide a cheap labour force. That hmm. seemed to be the extent of their interests. But in the wake of the disturbances in the 1960s, the district offices had to step up to the plate and become a conduit of conveying some of the grassroots opinion back up to the upper level. I'd have to say that I don't think it was that um, successful, but it did, of course, lay the grounds for the creation of district councils and indeed for elections to those councils, which, as we know from day one of the establishment of the Hong Kong SAR were partially abolished in as much as they brought appointed seats back in after they'd been fully elected. Mm. But anyway, what I'm saying is this, is that if the only tool in your toolkit is banging people on the head, putting them in jail, shutting down this, terrifying that, doing all the rest, you may indeed, you may indeed sweep people off the streets, but you don't change the situation. People in Hong Kong have had experience of liberty. They know what it's like to live in a system where you don't have fear of the knock on the door at midnight. And even though they may not be coming out on the streets, and we saw this weekend that the, although thousands of people did in fact come out, it was a very risky thing to do. um, The the sort of numbers we saw exactly a year ago with one million, two people, two million people on the streets was not happening because people are extremely worried. They're Mm. extremely fearful. Well, I can understand those fears. I mean I, I I was in yesterday I was in Causeway Bay in in um in and around the area and I have to say it was a very bizarre atmosphere I mean the people who were there I'm not talking about the people who knows about the people who weren't there I'm just talking about the people who were there were very scared mm-hmm. I could see this it was it was very uncertain as to what to do very determined not, I mean, I, I, I didn't get up to any front line because, frankly, I thought it was too dangerous. Any front line where people may or may not have been trying confrontation with the police. But, but from towards the back of these uh, demonstrations, people were very insistent that they would run away if the police um, started charging them. They weren't going to run away and throw things at them. So you know, they just want. They were just there. They to just show. wanted to say, look. We haven't been cowed by this, Mm. but we're not quite sure how to protest anymore because under the terms of this law. And this is what's really terrifying. This is a mainland law in Hong Kong. I mean, nobody's pretending it's anything other than that. And it's drawn up in the way that laws on the mainland are drawn up with very wide, sweeping statements about what is lawful and what is unlawful without actually precisely drawing the parameters. So, you know... Does, for example, does Article 38 really mean, as some people are now saying, that um, if you have any contact with a foreign organisation, you will be subverting state power? Does it mean that if you filibuster in LegCo, as Ronnie Tong has suggested, that will be considered to be subversion? Does it mean under uh, Article 55 that if you've... um, uh, transgress the law in a way, in an exceptional way you will be sent over to the mainland and just go mm-hmm. through the mainland process and of course in the mainland <coughs> the death penalty exists for, for, for crimes of these kinds Does does that is that what that means? We don't know
0: We don't know. Hold that thought, let's do the news and uh, the weather and uh, come back with Steve in just one second <laughs> Okay, so back uh, with Steve. Now, Steve, um, one of the things that's come out in the, in the last 24 hours is that uh, the UK has announced that uh, they will be uh, offering to BNO holders and their dependents um, the opportunity for, a f- I think, a five-year working visa plus the, the path to some kind of citizenship in the in UK. Fact, path to citizenship. Mm, I mm. mean,
1: the, 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 the announcement that was made yesterday in Parliament was that, um, as you say, uh, People who hold the b and and their dependents, that means any of the children up to the age of 18, will be entitled to come on these long visas to work or to study in the United Kingdom. If they've fulfilled a five-year period of residence, they then can, within 12 months, apply to have full citizenship. This will apply so it doesn't seem to be any strings attached, right? Well, we'll see because yeah. we'll you, you know, I, 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 I'm from Britain, I know how these things work. We'll see. Mm. I mean, we have yet to hear from the Home Office that actually implements these measures. Remember, that was a statement from the Foreign Office whether there are um, bits of small detail, but as matters stand, and we can only talk as, as matters stand, it looks as though this could cover three million people, more or less half of Hong Kong's population. Now, that doesn't mean for one moment that half of the people in Hong Kong are going to up sticks and go to Britain. I think that's terminally unlikely. But it does mean that an awful lot of people in Hong Kong might use this, might use the acquisition of a BNO. And remember, take up of that passport has been quite small. Mm. I think now something like out of the 3 million, only about 10% have, only, have actually taken it up, i.e. around 300,000. But it does mean that if people who feel scared and un- insecure because of the enactment of this national security law want some form of insurance, they may well be slipping a BNO and o in mm. their back pockets. How do we know that? Because people are queuing up around the block to apply for this Already, document. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, you know, and people don't apply for insurance when they don't think disaster will hit you know you don't you don't take out medical insurance because you want to get cancer you you no. take it out because you fear this may happen to you and you want some means of paying for the treatment it's exactly that that's not um a ridiculous comparison so it is interesting but what's also interesting and this I'm surprised by it. You might have thought that in Britain, where there was an upsurge of nationalist and indeed racialist sentiment around the, the um, Brexit vote, that people would be up in arms saying, we don't want three million Hong Kongers mm. descending on us. Over now. Well, there's been a recent opinion poll that says, do you know what? Why not? Mm. It's what? quite interesting. Public opinion mm. has shifted Public opinion in the United States, I've just been looking at the latest of the opinion polls, overwhelmingly there's antagonism towards China at a level that has not been seen since the Cold War, since, you know, Red China. Mm. And what this means to me is very interesting is that politicians normally don't really want to engage in foreign affairs matters i mean i know china keeps talking about foreign meddling but they don't understand how the political process works. by and large anything to do with foreigners is in the it's complicated it's too difficult it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna cause us problems yeah. box mm. but you have wall-to-wall support in america where the democrats and the republicans are divided over about everything except this right I mean, except for this uh, yeah in britain when um, I watched it on a live feed, when Dominic Rab made this announcement, the Foreign Secretary made this announcement, his Labour counterpart immediately stood up and supported it. Mm. Again, nothing else he's supporting. <laughs> there's the not a lot else mm. that you see happening. So it's, it is interesting that what people have taken away, this is not the grand politicians or the great leaders of foreign countries have taken away from this is that something very bad has happened that China cannot be trusted to implement undertakings that it's given. And, you know, people have a basic sense of decency. And it's interesting that this has brought all this to the fore Mm -hmm. in a way that um, many other things that have happened in China haven't done before. So, you know, if you're a politician in one of the major democracies. And and that sentiment is not just in Britain and America. I mean, it's surprising how widespread it is in other European countries. When you're a politician and you're contemplating what you do tomorrow, you never put foreign affairs at the top of your list. But if you've got a foreign affairs issue that you know is popular, that may well go sliding flagpole, up the agenda. It. Mm. It's very interesting mm. what's mm. what's been mm. happening. So
0: as much as anything, <coughs> do you think it's timing then that the that the UK um, is doing this because I guess the other sort of slightly cynical view is that because of Brexit, um, the, there's not going to be the numbers of people coming into the UK from, say, Poland or oh, well, I think these ti- places. Well, and- I think
1: you know everything's in the mix. Mm. There may well be that cynical ca- calculation that mm. you know we wouldn't mind of having some of those really great doctors and dentists that exist in Hong Kong, not mm, to mention nurses. I mean, that that might be in the mix. I don't know, but the timing has been. Um, it's impose. been quick, hasn't it? I mean, it's, it's been quick, but the timing is obviously related yeah. to the national security legislation. Yeah. Um, but you know, if you're saying, are there other cynical considerations? I, I'm a journalist. I, cynicism <laughs> is, is is completely unknown to me as as a way of um, operating or thinking. But anyway, so we'll we'll see how that pans out. Incidentally, I mean, th- there's a lot of. Um, Focus in America on this new legislation on um, uh, banning Chinese indiv- officials or Hong Kong officials who are said to have been complicit in undermining Hong Kong's autonomy and making it difficult for them to use America's financial system. There's also another bill going through Congress, much less noticed at the moment, to uh, which is called I think it's called the Safe Haven Bill to to uh, to provide another escape route for Hong Kong people. So you know this is a rolling ball yeah it's moving along Mm. at quite a fast pace and potentially that you know
0: for for potentially Canada or Australia might also Canada
1: has expressed an interest Mm. in this Canada which of course has a a much higher (laughs) Hong Kong population than even Britain does so awareness of Hong Kong Canada is rightly very high so you know yes we'll see I mean this is I hate to use this word game changer because you always look foolish the following day when you find out that it's fallen flat on its face. But this does actually look to me like a bit of a game changer. Mm. Well, again, you know, people will lose interest. I have no doubt in that. But once you've changed the rules, much follows and the rules are being changed. That's what's happening. I mean,
0: again, possibly another sort of cynical thing is that, um, you know, the rest of the world has become obsessed by coronavirus and actually, because this has happened now, it's something different that's in the news. And so it has risen to the top a little bit because of that. That's
1: very interesting. Plus, it feeds into the coronavirus, because remember, Mm. where did the coronavirus originate? You know, you don't have to be a crazed Donald Trump to keep calling it the China virus. It is, unquestionably, a virus that emanated from Wuhan. It is interesting that in this beginning of this century in the second decade the third decade we're now in I suppose of this century the two major world pandemics have emanated from China we're talking about SARS oh. in 2003 or 204 um, the coronavirus in 2019 and in both of these instances the criticism of the Chinese authorities was secrecy lack of transparency about the spread of the virus, particularly lack of transparency over the issue of whether it was capable of human-to-human transmission. This also feeds into it, a sense of distrust. Mm. This is not a trusted partner. These are not people whose word can be relied upon in vital circumstances, and there is nothing more vital than life and death. Mm. And, you know, in, in a virus which is now affected millions and millions of people worldwide... I think these two things are converging to create an impression of the People's Republic of China. I mean, America calls it a strategic um, opponent, but people are also going, we can't trust a word those people say. I mean, it, it, it's very sad because, you know, since the opening up of 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 China, three decades ago under Deng Xiaoping, you know, China was assuming what I regard to be its rightful place in the world. You know, it is the most populous country in the world. It now has the second highest, largest economy in the world. You know, I mean, China should be punching above its weight, not below its weight. But this is where we are. Let's catch up a bit on a few comments, and um, they're a little bit random here.
0: Okay. Uh, Alvin Chu, um, <coughs> the housing programme The housing program is now virtually housing new immigrants rather than the locals, no thanks to the pandems.
1: Um, well, that that may well be the case, but but you know, it it's taken practically half of the population into public housing, in terms of the great sweep of history.
0: Um, Patrick, uh, Steve, maybe Brexit was about sovereignty rather than immigration. I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, I, 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 there was a lot of racism in the Brexit campaign. I don't think we can uh, ignore that.
0: Uh, Alvin, again, uh, Hong Kong has become the new TikTok uh in a as a political trend
1: i think that re- re- refers
0: to some sort of app well yeah this is the the business about um because you know india has banned yeah, tiktok it? yeah um you know in this tit for tat uh thing that's going on but if i knew what it
1: was i'd india- have something <laughs> intelligent to say about it we'll take you aside in a minute and yeah, show okay. you. <laughs> and maybe
0: maybe you can do a bit of dancing on TikTok. Yeah, hey That's me. That's what we want to see. We want to see Steve doing dancing. Um, David said, David Hodges, uh, 400 people have been arrested. I see the swine flu, the Chinese mainland, been at it again and trying to cover it up.
1: Uh, I'm not sure what that's about, really. But um, 400 people arrested yesterday. I think it was, in fact, uh, nobody likes a pedant, but I think it was, in fact, almost 400, something Mm. like 380. But that is staggering. Mm. I mean i don't know and nobody else has provided a uh, a satisfactory estimate of how many people are on the streets but it was it was single digit thousands Thousands. so that's a big chunk in single digit thousands to have arrested 380 it was quite interesting i was um coming back um through admiralty and what was really interesting i haven't actually seen this how many young people were being stopped and searched by the police just on the on on the streets for of Admiralty? There for was no, no obvious reason. There was yeah. no no demonstration activity there at all. I mean, obviously the police were there because they anticipated that there might be demonstrations reaching that far down and getting as far as the Tamar complex with LegCo and all the rest of it. But there wasn't anybody there. There were some random young people. I mean. This is looking suspiciously like what they say in America, you know, black in uh, black suspected of driving a car. Well, this mm. looks like young people suspected of walking.
0: They were. Um, uh, I was going back through the Cross Harbour Tunnel after being here yesterday. Um, around, oh, that was stop and around search. two o'clock, and uh, it was down to one lane, and there was a full stop every single car, every single vehicle. Look inside buses, you know, so everything. So,
1: what is this about? Is this genuinely about? um stopping whatever it's supposed to stop or is it just straightforward intimidation Mm. straightforward sending a message i would say it's the latter um you know if somebody can tell us from the police force how many concealed weapons and what have you they found as a result of this activity i'd like to know what we do know though is people were arrested by having in their pockets stickers for example yeah which weren't on display i understand if it's in your pocket no um so you know i mean policing of the protest has been controversial i put that as mildly as i can Mm. it seems now that the police force have decided no restraints Mm. anything goes we don't like the look of you know what's it standing you know our Kung standing down the street we'll have him well interesting days and probably
0: interesting days to come as well depressing Mm. Mm. it is depressing well As ever, Steve, thanks very much. We'll see you next Thursday. (laughs) All right. Cheers, mate. Cheers.